0: It's nice to see all of your smiling faces back here once again, everyone. Hi. Hope you're doing well. It's the Anhedonic Headphones podcast. I am your host, Kevin Krein, aka Kevvy Fly, aka your favorite podcast host's favorite podcast host. This is episode 44 overall since the beginning of the show three years ago, Humble Beginnings. We've come a long way, folks. This is also the eighth season. Can you believe it? Jolly Jeepers, Ain't It Great, this fucking podcast, season eight. Also, this is the first episode of the eighth season. I will save the rest of the fine print about me and this show and my guest today, For the end of the episode, I want to get right into this conversation. Starting strong with season eight, my guest today is a New York City-based comedian. She is also one of the co-hosts of a delightful and informational podcast called The Celebrity Memoir Book Club. New episodes arrive In your preferred podcasting platform every Tuesday. So, folks, as you are able, please put your motherfucking hands together for my guest today, Ashley Hamilton. Thank you so much for taking time out of your morning and for being willing to do this and coming up with a list of songs and sending it over to me very quickly. I think this is the maybe the fastest anyone has gotten back to me with songs when I've asked them to be on the show. So I, I'm really appreciative.
1: Oh, my God. I would have taken more time. <laughs> I was like looking through um, and I I mean, OK, this is like a list of songs for me, but I feel like they're a lot of them are a band or an album that I just had to pick a song to represent it. And I'm just like, I don't feel like this is necessarily my desert Island list. I think if I could only listen to 10 songs for the rest of my entire life, I don't know that this would be the list, (laughs) but it would be like an adjacent list to this one. These are just the ones I feel like I can really talk about that, like represent the vibe. But I think secretly if I could only pick 10 songs to only listen to forever, I don't know. The list might be more embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. Well, before we get into these, do you want to just take a quick moment to introduce yourself uh, to the folks at home, and then we can then we can begin the conversation.
1: Yes. Hi, I'm Ashley Hamilton, and I host a podcast called Celebrity Memoir Book Club. I'm a comedian in New York, and I am. From Chicago originally is that where you are? Sorry, you said you were in um, Central Time, but I yeah,
0: didn't. I am. Well, I'm from Illinois originally, but I live um south of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Oh, okay, very yeah. cool. Yeah.
1: I was there recently for a layover. Yeah, I know you were
0: trapped, <laughs> you were trapped in the airport enjoying a, car- a caribou coffee. Um, so. I mean, you are doing big things with the podcast with Celebrity Memoir Book Club right now. And one of the things that I wanted to ask about you and podcasting, and like you do this every week, is there ever a time where it's like, you're like, wow, I do not feel up to doing this? Or is it like difficult to maintain that week after week? Or how, what is your, like, what is the process you and Claire use when you do the show?
1: I guess, okay, so I actually really don't know how we did it when we both had full-time day jobs, uh, which we actually don't anymore, which I feel very lucky about. So when we were, I mean, especially pre-pandemic, when I was, you know, leaving, I would, you know, wake up at 7 a.m., go to the gym, leave for work, um, go straight from work to a comedy show, get home at like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, go to sleep, wake up, do it all again. On the weekends, we would record an episode. I literally don't know how we found the time. Sometimes we would do it. Sometimes we'd be over at my house recording an episode at like 10 at night. I don't really know how it happened, especially a podcast like this where you read a book every week.
0: And that was another thing I wanted to ask was like, how difficult is it to keep up with the like to maintain that, like, we have to read this book and we have to read it this quickly and we have to then have the discussion about it because it just seems like the show was so great and you both like are so sharp and you have so many talking points, but it's also like I can't fathom that kind of a workload. It just seems like so much.
1: Yeah. I think now that it's our main work, it is very different. I don't think we'd be able to do it if we had full-time jobs. Like it just does take up a ton of time. But when you think about it in terms of it's, it can take up all of our time. I'm very like programmed. I don't know how to say it without sounding like a robot, but I get very like, if we say we're going to do something, I just get it done. I'm like, this has to happen. And so I feel like Claire is a little bit more thoughtful on like, why are we doing this? And I'm very like, well, we said we're doing it. So an episode has to come out on Tuesday. And so with our old podcasts, like I would have just kept doing them. This is our third podcast we've done. The old ones that literally just weren't going well. No one really listened to them. We didn't even really like doing it anymore. And I was just like, well, it's Sunday. So we have to record an episode to put out tomorrow morning that just is what it is. And finally, Claire was just like, why though? <laughs> let's do, let's do something else. So I think yeah. that that's like a good balance of, you know, making sure shit just goes out and gets done. I don't even really think about it. I'm just like, well, it has to get done and that's that.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was one of the other things I wanted to ask about. And like, I've, I've talked to, I mean, I talked to a lot of different people. I talked to friends of mine. I talked to songwriters, other uh, writers, And I've always been curious about how other people handled like the last two years in terms of living through the pandemic while trying to remain creative. And was that, I mean, so I was recently turned on to Celebrity Memoir Book Club by a friend of mine. And so then she was like, you should go back and check out their other show. And so I've been listening to We're in a Fight and... It sounds, the pandemic episodes are very grim, and I understand why, because I was also, like, I was also working during the pandemic, and the vibes just across the board were terrible, but listening to the two of you try to, like, slog through the conversation when everything was falling apart, I'm like, how, like, outside of doing that, like, how did you both, like, maintain any kind of sense of like doing something creative or was just like was that like what you were talking about with like well we said we would do this we need to keep doing this even though everything is terrible
1: yeah it kind of was a situation of Like, we don't have a reason to stop, so we'll just keep going. And then finally Claire was like, why are we still doing this? I'm so sad and I can't function. And this is for what? And so then we kind of really sat down and were like, well, what do we actually want to be doing? And how can we do that? Which is how Celebrity Memoir Book Club came to be. But there was definitely a while – because we had actually planned to – stop doing we're in a fight and start celebrity memoir book club in january of that year we were like we came up with the idea and decided that we would make the switch in march mm-hmm. and then obviously march yeah. is notorious for
0: <laughs> being <laughs> i mean a some of dark... us are still living through march 2020 in one way or another
1: <laughs> yeah so that really sent us through for a loop and and then we just kept slogging through and we weren't really sure what we were doing or what to do. I felt like I was really clinging to it because it was just some form of normalcy. And it wasn't necessarily about staying creative, it was about stubbornly being like, I have to have one. You know, there was sure, no stand up.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, there wasn't stand up. There wasn't, you couldn't really go just do anything. And I was like, podcasting from my home is the one thing that I can still maintain doing. During a pandemic, and even though I have no idea what I'm talking about or what I'm doing or whatever, just like the act of doing it felt very comforting to me. So I was obsessed with continuing (laughs) for literally no reason other than I have to be putting something creative out there because I, I mean, at that time, I didn't think we were ever going to be able to do live performances again, or at least, I mean, at that point they were saying, I think like maybe five years. And I was just like, holy shit, I have (laughs) to keep, I have to have something.
3: (laughs) Oh, life is bigger, it's bigger.
0: So you've picked 10 songs, and I'm so excited to hear about the stories with all of these and the kind of like where they fall into your life. So we're beginning with A Nice Slice of the 90s and R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. So where are we starting in your life with this one? And like, are you a big R.E.M. person or are you just like kind of connected with this song in some way?
1: I really love R.E.M. Um, I I mean, I don't love all of R.E.M. I feel like that would be a crazy thing to say. <laughs> Uh, their their discography spans a lot of sounds and whatnot, yeah, so yeah, there's like,
0: definitely... You're like, I'm really into those latter-day albums right before they split up.
1: <laughs> I feel like to be like, there's not a single R.E.M. song I just like would be a crazy thing for someone to say. <laughs> Even Michael Stipe doesn't feel that way. <laughs> Um, But R.E.M., Losing My Religion by R.E.M. came out the year that I was born. And I don't know that it's my number one R.E.M. song. It's obviously a great R.E.M. song. But that is a song that was on the radio, obviously a ton when I was a little baby. And so my dad will constantly reference it as he'll, it'll come on the radio and he'll be like, remember this song? I used to bounce you on, on my knee. And we would listen to losing my religion by REM. And I'm like, that's such a bizarre song to be like, I would bounce my baby on my knee and listen to listen to REM have an absolute fucking mental breakdown.
0: Yeah. I was like, this song is pretty dark for to just like have a, like a newborn, like toddling around and being like, Hey, remember when we do this? That's like, you're like, wow, that's the kind of thing I should block out or unpack in therapy.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, he brought it up as recently as this weekend because there's a show, there's a radio show in Chicago called Saturday morning flashback on WXRT. And it's my dad's church. He loves, listening to Saturday morning flashback every Saturday they have a different year and then they just only play songs from that year and this week actually was 1991 and so he texted me of course being like 1991 this weekend you know they'll probably play losing my religion remember when you were a baby and I was you on my knees
0: <laughs> and you're like oh brother not this again <laughs>
1: And it's like very funny and sweet, especially because it's like, this is such a fucking bizarre song to be like the song we listened to when you were just a tiny, tiny baby. And then how I get mad at me now for, you know, certain I have my parents are very, you know, Midwestern, they have very, a very regimented sense of what your life should look like. And the fact that I've done something extremely different, they're supportive, but it's obviously not the easiest for them. And I think that for my dad to be like, this is the chaotic song we bonded over when you couldn't even talk yet. And then not understand why I'm just like, marriage isn't that important to me. I'm not sure if I ever want to do this or that. Like having a 401k isn't my top priority. He's like, I don't know. It's like you like built anarchy into my system and then you're like mad about
3: it. (laughs) That was just a dream. That was just a dream, that's me in the corner, that's me in the spot, life.
0: Was like pop music like this uh, big like for your family when you were growing up in terms of like what was very pop like popping and like on the radio at the time?
1: Yeah, I mean, my dad definitely has his certain artists that he's always been obsessed with, and we always listen to music a lot in my house. I think one of the most important things for my dad everywhere that we've ever lived has been getting a sound system in place. It's really important for him to be able to have speakers in the dining room so that we can have dinner mix one playing when we eat dinner (laughs) (laughs) he loves making mixes it was like a really Is,
0: is, is dinner mix one like the best one is dinner mix two not as good
1: it just – it really depends on the vibe. My dad – okay, so the invention of iTunes was a really big deal in my home because that's when my dad – we got like a Apple computer in the, in the family room and my dad would literally – I don't know how much money he spent on 99-cent songs <laughs> when you would have to buy song by song. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But I remember – I mean, one time – When we first got it, because at that point, you could still burn a CD into your iTunes library. So I went through his whole CD collection, and I put all the CDs in his iTunes library. And then he went and bought a ton of songs. And that's when he got really into music discovery again. But he would just obsessively make mixes to put on his iPod. And then you could plug your iPod into the speaker system and have different mixes. Like every time he would throw a party or a gathering, there was like a new mix. He had his work mixes. Um, there was just some eclectic, eclectic mix, one, two, three, and four, which were just kind of eclectic. <laughs> he just loved mixes. So I yeah, there his, was,
0: I love this big dad in the early 2000s energy that he Yeah.
1: Loved. He would just like sit at the computer and be like, I'm working on a mix. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anything else about R.E.M. and losing my religion or do you want to scoot into the next one here? Another band from Georgia. Like I was. uh, I know. When I was listening to this the other day, I was like, oh, putting them back to back. That's great Um, because they have such a connection.
1: I know. I I really like there was like a recent couple of articles that were like retrospectives on shiny, happy people that were kind of fun to read. Because that's a song that I feel like they've gone back and forth on loving and hating I think they have a couple of songs, some of their poppier songs. They're very Radiohead in the way that they are constantly like, we actually hate this one. Actually, we love this one. Actually, we hate this one. And it's like, okay, you can have a hit. Shut the fuck up. It's why you're rich right now.
0: But so the B-52s is the next one, that with Deadbeat Club. And I didn't I didn't know this one because this was not a single that was inescapable in this time period. Because like Love Shack is, yeah. is the big one off of this album, and it still gets played at like weddings and stuff. But um so where like at this point, uh, you got some sirens in the background there too, everybody okay? Oh. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> this happens when you live in New York, there's just sirens everywhere.
1: The full New York experience. <laughs>
0: um, but so the B-52s and Deadbeat Club, How was this another one from your childhood or where are we coming in with this one?
1: So this one was definitely started in my childhood. I, I like went through a real B-52s phase. I mean, obviously I feel like every kid is like Rock Lobster is the funniest <laughs> song I've ever heard in my life. And I really enjoyed it. You know it. I, like, I mean, I feel like I was always putting on an album or something. And so I feel like when I discovered that one, I would like put rock lobster on and me and my friends would dance around and it was very fun and silly. And then I don't actually remember the first time I heard the Deadbeat Club by the B-52s, but I remember I think my mom saying something like, oh, that's Ashley. And I feel like whenever I have those questions of like, what would be the soundtrack to my life? Or if I was like making a movie about my life or something like that, what would be like a key soundtrack moment? And every time throughout my entire life, I've always come up to come back to deadbeat club by the b-52s it's just a real perfect kind of like defining me song and it has and i'll like not think about it for years and then all of a sudden i'll hear it and be like god damn it's
2: perfect
0: Do you like? I mean, with some of these, like especially these, these older songs from the top of the list. Do you return to these bands a lot, like to listen for fun, like when you're bopping around or whatever, or is this kind of like just indicative of a specific time in your life?
1: Um, I feel like both. I definitely will have songs that are huge during a moment in my life. And then every now and then I'll hear them again and be like, oh, I got to throw that on a playlist real quick. And then I'll throw it on a playlist and like listen to it a bunch for like a month or two. And then I'll move on. And then, you know, every now and then I'll be like looking through old playlists and I'll come back to it and be like, oh, this was a good one.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Anything else about the B-52s before we switch gears um, the- I
1: just feel like they have a lot of really good music that people, I think they get a lot of, there's a lot of, I've, I've gone through a couple of real Big 52's phases. I think Rock Lobster and um, Love Shack are obviously the runaway hits, but going in for like 52 Girls and Channel Z, and I just like, I don't know, Rome was a big one for yeah, me too. Rome
0: was a very, I mean, that was... Also all over the radio when I was a kid. I, I remember hearing that one a lot. I prefer that one over Love Shack, truthfully. Yeah,
1: right. but the Deadbeat Club of just like being a group of friends who just wants to have fun and talk all day and vibe. I was like, oh, that's all I've ever wanted. And I've literally, <laughs> like I was looking at it recently and I was like, holy shit, this is the exact thing I've been chasing my entire life is just being a member of the Deadbeat Club. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they make They make sound like, they make the... Expression deadbeat, like they make it sound so fun and not like it's it's a bad thing. It's just like
1: romantic and fun and you're just like going. I mean, literally just hanging out and talking to my friends is all I've ever wanted to do.
0: Moving ahead in time quite a bit is this U2 song that I was not super familiar with from Songs of Innocence, but this is song for someone. And like, are you, where are you at with U2? Like, how do you feel about them? Because they can kind of be a polarizing band depending on like what era you get into them with.
1: So here's my thing that I need to preface this with (laughs) is that U2 is my favorite band in the world. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. And here's the thing. Song for Someone is not my number one U2 song. And I think... So when I was in 7th or 8th grade, I took a radio class in college, not in college, what am I talking about, in high school or middle school, whatever the fuck, whatever you are in 7th or 8th grade. That would be very There was a, school, a class, yeah. like, there was an elective called Radio 101. There was only ever, like, seven kids in it, and we learned some broadcasting tools and things like that. And one of the big assignments throughout the semester was doing a rockumentary, and it had to be, I think, 12 minutes long, and you had to talk through the history of a band, um, give background and you could play I think like five 30-second song clips. And I was like, "Holy shit, filling 12 minutes. I need to find a band that has just been around for ages. Like the most important thing is that this band has to be old." <laughs> and so I just like picked up a U2 album and I was like, "Oh, they've been around for a minute. I could probably find 12 minutes worth of things to talk about." With this band and so I just did a bunch of research on you 2 and I was like I love them <laughs> I love you 2 so much and since then they've been just a band that has been with me through my entire life I guess since that day and I've just I don't know it's one of my comfort bands for sure and then I think that you know they've had their popular moments they've had their controversial moments and so I picked this song specifically because one of their big controversies was that album that was free on everyone's phone that everyone lost their fucking shit about, which I think was just a deeply, one of the most misunderstood moments in pop culture history.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if you were going to talk about that when I saw this one on here. I'm like, oh, this was that album that showed up in everybody's iTunes, whether they wanted it or not.
1: Exactly. Okay. So here's the thing. I love you 2 This is not my favorite U2 album, but it is far and away not my least favorite U2 album. It had some really good songs on it, including this one song for someone, which I think is a really beautiful little song for his wife. I just, I have always been like this one, or in a little while will be my wedding song. I love them so much. And the thing is everyone nowadays, however many years later, Everyone's obsessed with getting free music. Everyone, I mean, even <laughs> shortly after that, people were like trying, like searching and hunting for ways to get free digital downloads. Now that we have Spotify and Apple Music with these unlimited plans. Everyone fucking loves it. All of a sudden, but when you two did it, which first of all, when is the last time a band has been? fully in charge of their own digital distribution, especially when they're one of the biggest bands in the world. This was not literally Bono saying, put my album on everyone's phone. Mm -hmm. This was their management team and the executives at iTunes having an enormous misunderstanding of what people want from music.
2: Yeah,
1: It wasn't Bono, like he obviously (laughs) probably okayed it, but everyone who's like Bono, that fucking asshole who put his album on my phone, it's like, well, he didn't do it.
0: So if this is not your favorite, but not your least favorite U2 album, what is your favorite? But then also, what is your least favorite if you can pick?
1: I would say my favorite is probably another 1991 classic, Akhtung Baby. Baby. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Um, That's got nothing but hits
0: on it, for sure. It's
1: so fucking good. I love that album so much. Just top to bottom, banger after banger. And then my least favorite might be honestly, boy, their first album. I don't I don't hate it, but I don't return to it really that often sure. ever. Or something during their pop era when Bono was the fly and I, I don't really like that. <laughs>
0: you mean the the actual the album pop the one that everyone like that they almost like broke up after making because it yeah. was so misunderstood <laughs> it, and polarizing it had it you was, know it in retrospect that album actually has some pretty good songs on it I think it was just people were not prepared for it yeah. slash the tour they went on in support of it was so bizarre. yeah Bono was
2: a
1: character called yeah. the fly and I don't like that character <laughs> Here's the thing is I like that. I don't like every U2 album the same way with REM. I really like when a band tries something weird and not everyone has to like it. I'm glad they didn't break up after it because I think trying things is important. Otherwise, I mean, if they spent, they've been around since the eighties, if they've been putting out the same album every four to six years, that sucks. Yeah. So I'm happy that they try new shit. I am sad that when they try new shit, people Fucking take it as an affront to their being, (laughs) but you know you don't have to like every album. If if a band is gonna have longevity, that's how I feel about Lord right now. I'm just like, listen, I do think Lord has a few decades of great music in her. I think that this last one was an absolute dud, but you know, for someone to keep going for years and years and years, they've got to have some. They're gonna have hits. They're gonna have misses.
0: Yeah. I mean, Solar Power, I liked it at the time. I didn't return to it much after it first came out. It was also, I think people were really upset that it was like more acoustic and thoughtful than like, I think everyone just wanted another really bombastic pop album.
1: Totally. And I also think, especially in this day and age of social media and of people having no concept of waiting a second for something to happen, like the (laughs) fact that everyone right now lives in absolute fear of becoming irrelevant so people rush music out and they rush content a lot faster than they should because they're afraid that if they like step off the gas for two fucking seconds everyone will forget they exist and they'll never be able to do anything ever again I think in this day and age to do something experimental and interesting is a lot is like very you know what's it called good (laughs)
0: So we're we're switching gears here with uh, Yellow Card, and this was a blaster in the past for me, and I, I remember when this song was very very popular, and the video was all over MTV. Um, but Ocean Avenue, uh, a nice slice of like pop punk. Where, yes. like, where are we in your life with this one and kind of like what, how did this one end up on the list?
1: So this one specifically ended up on the list. Okay. So I went through a real pop punk phase and honestly still,
0: I mean, everyone does and really tell, vibe like, to it. You I mean, right hard for it as an adult. I,
1: and I would say like my number one bands were more in the vein of fallout boy. I love simple plan. But this song, Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card, I had made a pop punk CD to listen to in my car right when I turned 16 years old. And I think it was five weeks after I got my driver's license, I was driving home from SAT prep class, just absolutely losing it to Ocean Avenue by Yellow Card. I was rocking out, having a great time, and I was rocking out so hard that I just crashed my car so fucking hard. Oh, no. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> so that's why this is the song for
0: the list oh no oh no what a that's that's a tragedy but I'm glad it was a still, tragedy I'm glad you could still listen to this song though or at least like talk about that because that would that would be like, I know so it traumatic. was and no
1: one got hurt and it everything was fixable nothing was totaled but it was definitely a traumatic moment and I was like wow that song is too powerful <laughs> It's just easy to go crazy to this song. And I went too crazy for years. I actually don't even drive anymore because I moved to New York. But for years when I lived in LA, like there's obviously the urge to listen to it while you're driving down Ocean Avenue. But I thought I can't, I can't, I can't handle the power. It's too dangerous. (laughs)
0: Yeah, does that, no one really drives in New York? Do they or like has a car? It just doesn't make sense.
1: I like really. know a few people that do, and I don't really understand it. I mean, there, it's pretty often that I'll I have a lot of friends that Uber a lot, and they'll be like, "Oh, my number one saving money thing is to Uber less," and I'm just like, "I why are you getting in a car? The train it goes everywhere." Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, anything else about you? Do you, I mean? Do you like now that you can talk about this? experience with Ocean Avenue and whatever. Do you I mean listen to Yellow Card slash this song if you are revisiting Pop Punk now or is this just kind of I like... would say
1: this is the only song okay. that ends up on a pop punk <laughs> uh rabbit hole journey. It's a lot more Fall out boy, simple plan. Yeah. I listen to a lot of good Charlotte still honestly.
0: Is that? Am I saying that right? I like do not know much about this I song. I think
1: it's Hozier. Hozier,
0: okay. I know he had the "Take Me to Church" song because yes. I used to hear that at work every day. But this was a totally this was not that song. And so, how how did this one end up on here? And kind of what is your relationship with this? Okay, so
1: when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was twenty, and. I guess it was my second job in LA, but I was working for a music PR company oh, okay. or maybe my third, whatever. I had like some real weird jobs at first. How
0: long did you and live in LA for?
1: I was there for five years. Okay. So my second job there, I was like 22 years old and I was working for this music PR person as an assistant. It was a really small company and um, it was just the two of us in like this office in studio city. And he, he, said that if I wanted to go to South by Southwest, then he would be able to send me, he would get me a ticket to the festival and my flight, but I would have to figure out somewhere to stay. I think he thought I would say no. I think he, cause like this was maybe a month before South by. So obviously in terms of like finding somewhere to stay in Austin, Texas, like it's, I mean, I didn't have the money to do that, but my brother went to UT Austin at the time So I called him and I was like, can I just sleep in your dorm? And he was like, for sure. (laughs) So I went to South by Southwest by myself and it like – it was like an extremely transformative trip for me. So first off, um, my brother ended up volunteering at the festival because I had a program where if you volunteered at like five shows to be like a badge checker and like set up and clean up, you could get free passes to the rest of the festival so when I went to go meet up with my brother one night, the fe- the show that he'd been assigned to was actually a comedy show. And when I went, I was just, like, waiting for my brother to finish cleaning up all the chairs, and I ended up talking to the host for a minute, and he was like, oh, we run this show actually in Los Angeles. And so I ended up going to the show when I was back in L.A. and, like, starting comedy a week later, maybe. Um, so I think that that trip was, like, very responsible for me doing comedy. Anyway, I also – I'm obsessed with Ireland and I think it has a little bit to do with my YouTube thing. (laughs) I just like love Ireland as a country and as a group. And so when I was just looking at this, um, you know, booklet of all the shows that were happening, because I don't know if you've ever been to South by, it was an incredible experience. And I don't know if it's still like that. It's probably gotten ruined by something. But when I went to it, it was just every single bar, every single restaurant, every single everything had like some sort of stage and showcase set up. You could just wander around and just hit a show for like 10 minutes, see a lineup of like really fun under discovered acts. And there was this one, like the Irish music collective or whatever had gotten together to get a bunch of um, acts from Ireland that came over. And I was like, oh, an Irish music showcase. Of course, I'm gonna go to that. I go to the Irish Music Showcase. I'm getting ready to leave. I'd watched like four or five bands, and I walked towards the door, and there's an enormous line forming out front. And I was like, something cool is about to happen, so I'm actually not going to give up my place at this showcase. And it was like the tiniest, weirdest attic. And then Hozier came on and performed, and like I said, just like a tiny, weird attic, maybe 50 of us in there. And it was like a transcendent show. Like he is so deeply talented. It's crazy. Um, I like was absolutely blown away. I went home that night and downloaded the EP that he had art that he didn't even have a full length album out at the time. So I went and I downloaded it like real people do is one of the songs that was on it. And then I saw him perform and I was just, like I said, absolutely blown away. I don't think I've ever seen a live performance that good before or since. And then he was on my flight back to Los Angeles and I like went up to him and I was like, (laughs) I'm a music publicist. If you ever need anyone, let me know. And it turns out he was going to LA to do late night. Like he was performing on, I forgot which late night show it was on, but he performed Take Me to Church. That song blew the fuck up from that moment for the next probably two years. You couldn't go a day without hearing it on the radio in a coffee shop in something. And I was like, oh, so he had a publicist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that you had a brush with fame, though, on your flight back.
1: I was just like, holy shit, that's him. I truly, I like have never seen a live performance. He's so good. And then obviously that song got overexposed, but it kind of bummed me out when people would make fun of it because I was like, I don't think you understand how fucking talented this guy is. And not just because I saw him live, but when you listen to it, what he was doing was so interesting and not poppy, but still obviously resonated with so many people. And I don't think he really got credit for that. And then, I mean, he's still making music and it's just not... Blowing up in the same way, which I think is exactly what he wants. I don't think he ever wanted that level of notoriety and fame and expectation and to have his work kind of diluted for the masses. And so I think it's really interesting the way that he kind of stepped back and was like, no, I could be one of the more famous musicians in the world, but I want to be making the music I want to make.
0: I've never been to South by Southwest and when I was much, much younger and had a lot less anxiety about like crowds. I always wanted to go. And I was like, wow, I bet that would be a lot of fun. And now I'm a little like, especially with the last two years and my concern about like the pandemic, I'm just kind of like that plus my dislike of huge crowds i'm like what was i thinking wanting to immerse myself <sighs> in something like that i'm not built for anything like that cuz it totally. just seems like it just seems like you can be exposed to cool things like this because like an intimate show with 50 people in a weird venue is a like is an experience but just that like how much is happening all the time seems just like way too much for me Oh.
1: yeah it's definitely overwhelming I think it was kind of nice to go by myself and I was really scared too when I did it but then I don't know just being able to... oh sorry my dog heard something and now oh, she's bug. how is bug getting... <laughs> <laughs> she's good she's taking her mid-morning nap well what? she was until she heard a sound <laughs> that startled her
0: how old is bug?
1: Uh, She's almost one. Okay. She's actually 11 months this week.
0: Okay. So she's got big puppy energy then still. Yeah. Yeah. Our dog is going to be two in October. He also has big puppy energy still um, that we're still trying to work on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a lot sometimes.
0: Oh yeah, like there's a lot of thrashing around and like trying to eat things that he should not be trying to eat. And... Yeah,
1: someone actually. So I went to a wedding on Saturday night um, in Brooklyn, and I had Claire come over to walk Bug just because I knew that she would be. I, I mean, obviously, I would never keep her cooped up for that amount yeah, of time by yeah. herself, and so, I mean, normally I honestly would have just like gotten a babysitter, or aborted her, or something, but. Uh, Claire was in town, so she was able to come walk her for me midway through the evening, and she made a TikTok about it, and someone was like, I can't believe that you keep that dog in a cage. That's so cruel. And it's like, okay, she will just chew on literally anything. If I left her alone in my apartment just willy-nilly, the chances of her – like opening up my couch, chewing on a big heap of stuffing and then choking yeah. is so big. It's so dangerous to just leave her until she calms down and stops chewing on stuff. Of course she has to be in a cage. It's to keep her safe. It's not for me.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that was something that we went through with uh, when we first got our dog. We adopted him last September and I felt real blue about like putting him in his little kennel when it was bedtime. Yeah. But it was also kind of like, there's a good possibility that you are going to eat a button off the couch or eat a pillow or get into some shit that you were not supposed to. And so, like, right now he is just wrangled upstairs in the, his little yeah. kennel and he's snoozing. And, I mean, he could have just slept on the couch and not thought about doing anything he shouldn't have. But also there is the risk. So I'm like, I'm glad it's not just me that has kind of like the, totally. the feelings, like very... feeling some type of way about that. But it's for everyone's well-being
1: and i always get her like a lot of good exercise before she's going to be locked up for more than like 45 minutes to it like if i'm just running yeah. to the grocery store or something i'm like we'll get in there but if i'm going out to dinner or doing something where she's going to be in there for like you know 2 hours or so she's just she's just going to sleep
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i put a little blanket over my dog's head and then he just <laughs> kind of like tucks himself into his bed and snoozes
1: it's so cute
4: yeah he's
0: a whimsical young man
1: we
4: don't want
3: no
5: Yes,사2>
2: we
4: Lord. want the Lord to yes, get yes, hey.
6: yes, sir. Halle. Hand them both Yes, Jesus, praise the Lord. Yes, sir. Hallelujah, God. Yes, yes, We want the Lord to get Yes, sir. We want the Lord to oh, get yes, yes, I'm trying yes. to keep Jesus, my faith. We on an light beam. We on an ultralight beam. This is a God dream. This is a God dream. This is everything. This is everything. Deliver us serenity. Deliver us peace. Deliver us love. We know we know we need it. You know we need it. You know we need it. The we need, you know. oh, yeah. Pray for Paris, pray for the parents. This is a god dream. This is a god dream. This is a god dream. We on a ultra light beam. We on a ultra light beam. This is a god dream. This is a god dream. This is everything.
3: I'm trying to uh, keep my
1: But I'm looking for more.
0: talk about Chicago's favorite, Kanye West.
1: <laughs> um no, I think that wraps it up. I'm okay. sure. Okay,
0: so I was pleasantly surprised to see this one on here because uh, I don't know how you feel about Kanye West, especially how you feel about Kanye West in 2022, but I like the song a lot. This is one of the few songs yeah. off of The Life of Pablo that I actually liked. Um, so Ultralight Beam. In terms of... This? Yeah, go ahead. Like, Okay, where so are we with I definitely bunny?
1: have a long, I mean, a long-standing relationship with Kanye. I think that, you know, like most people who aren't idiots, I think his first <laughs> three albums are particularly genius. I mean, honestly, his first, like, eight albums. I think that... It got more controversial. Like He's just so good. There's so much music that he's done that is so fucking great. I used to listen and I mean, almost all of his albums you can listen to in full. Even The Life of Pablo. I actually don't think that there are that many single songs off of Life of Pablo that I return to, but as like a full piece to listen to top to bottom, it is genuinely an incredible album. Um... And then this song, this is going to sound obnoxious, right? But (laughs) this song reminds me of when I was really new to comedy, living in Los Angeles. I had, like, this group of friends. We were all, like, crazy. Like, we would all just hang out constantly. We were hanging out outside of open mics, outside, like, just in each other's apartments until 3 a.m. Like, it was a constant like go to work and then just go bum around having like delusions of grandeur about comedy. And my friends used to like send each other this song and reference this song all the fucking time about like, we're going to be so fucking good one day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, um, well first, how did you, so, I mean, you got into comedy when you were living in Los Angeles, but like, was that something you always wanted to do or how did you transition into that?
1: I mean, so I have thought about it a lot just because I don't think it's something I always wanted to do because it's not something I ever really knew existed. I wanted to work in television and comedy, but I just kind of, I don't know, coming from where I came from, where everything is very regimented and there's a very specific path that you follow, I kind of thought I would always just work on the business side of television. Like I grew up watching Seinfeld and all these you know, really admiring comedy and liking funniness and, like, loving making people laugh. But I didn't think that you could just do comedy. I don't know why. I was like, I don't even understand how you can just do it. You just, like, there has, you had to be picked, I think. I don't really know how it works. And then when I got to LA and there was a little bit more creativity around me, plus I started listening to a lot more podcasts. And that was when, like, uh, we made it. You made it weird. And Marin were mostly just interviewing other comedians that they came up with. And so hearing these people who were successful now talking about open mics and things like that. Then I went to South by and I met some people who ran a comedy show. And I started meeting other people. And then I was like, Oh, you can just do it. Like there's a website that says all the open mics on it, and you can just pick one and go. You just sign your name on a form. And that when I started doing comedy. I don't want to be like back in my day, but it is a little bit different now. Not that different. Like you can still definitely just go do it. There were a lot more open mics and a lot more free open mics when I started. I mean, at most you would have to pay $3 for a drink or something.
2: Yeah.
1: And so, you know, for like 15 bucks throughout the week, you can, you could probably go up like 15, I would go up like 20 times in a week. I would spend one evening going to like three open mics on Monday, three open mics on Tuesday. Like you would just run around town from the second I got off work at 6 p.m. until like midnight or later.
0: Is it tough to keep that kind of momentum going with like material? Or like did you just kind of go into it with like I'm going to do this, these jokes here and save this material for this other venue? Or like that just seems like like, like, it's a good way to like build your craft. But that just seems like – that kind oh it was of, insane it's the kind of momentum I'm just like oh boy that is that's exhaust like it just sounds exhausting
1: I mean that's why this song is like it reminds me of back when I was just a fucking crazy person
5: <laughs> when they come for you I will shield your name I will feel their questions I will feel your pain no one can judge they don't they don't know they don't know Foot on the devil's neck to the drifted Pangea. I'm moving all my family from Chatham to Zambia. Treat the demons just like Pam. I mean I fuck with your friends, but damn Gina, I've been this way since Arthur was Aunt eater Now they wanna hit me with the woo after bam. Trying to send photos of family uh. My daughter look just like Sia, you can't see her You can feel the lyrics of spirit coming in braille Coming out of the underground, come and follow the trail I made Sunday candy, I'm never going to hell I met Kanye West, I'm never going to fail He said let's do a good-ass job with Chance 3 I hear you gotta sell it to snatch the Grammy Let's make it so free and the bar so hard That it day one gosh darn part you can't tweet This is my part, nobody else speak This is my part, nobody else speak This little light of mine Glory be to God, yeah. I'ma make sure that they go where they can't go. If they don't wanna ride, I'ma still give them raincoats. Know what God said when he made the first rainbow. Just notice at the end of fucking late for the intro Uh I'm just having fun with it. You know that a nigga was lost. I laugh in my head, cause I bet that my ex looking back like a pillar of salt. Uh, cause they've left the script on your ass like Wesley and Spike. You cannot mess with the light. Look at the channel from 79. When you're on the ultralight beam, when you're on the ultralight
6: beam, this is a God dream, this is a God dream, this is, dream. This is everything,
4: Hallelujah.
6: everything, I'm trying to keep my
4: faith, but I'm looking for more, somewhere I can feel safe.
1: I personally would write new material every week and then think of it as like a one-week cycle. Most – that was not very common. There were some people who you would see running the same joke for months. There were some people who would write something new every single day. There were some people who never wrote at all. They would just get up there and riff and you were just like, okay, you're wasting everybody's time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was a lot of people – kind of handle it in different ways and also there's a lot of people who don't do it that often it was there's definitely a group of people in every city who are obsessive especially when you're new and I think that because I had a lot of stage fright and it took me a long time to get comfortable on stage I'm really glad that I went so obsessive because I don't think that I would have been able to get comfortable on stage it would have taken me years and years and years to do it and instead I just like spent probably like three or four years just obsessively getting up it ran really everything in my life um you know which obviously could have been a huge mistake but we'll see
0: (laughs) and so I mean I know that like you are doing some shows now that things are I'm gonna use big air quotes and be like opening back up and like live events are happening and uh but like has it been difficult to for you to get back into performing in person after you know like two years of not doing it or is it just has it been kind of an easy transition back into that
1: it's definitely been difficult I mean like I said before earlier in the episode my schedule even when I moved to New York every day was wake up I would go to work I would go straight from work to comedy shows and then I would just you know maybe do an open mic do a show go hang out in another show I was just out all the time. And then post pandemic, doing like one thing per day would just wipe me the fuck out. I was like, I, I just talked to four people and I got to <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> and so, and then I also just am older. And so I think, you know, I don't see my life ever being exactly like that ever again. I think, which is why I'm also really nostalgic for that period. But, I don't know. I think it was crazy. I think it also is very different when you're new to stand up versus now when I'm like, I've thankfully established myself a little bit more where, like I said, I've gotten over a lot of the stage fright. I've really learned how to write a joke. I don't think I need to be spending six hours a night running around to shows and mics and things like that. But yeah, I I mean, I don't think I'll ever be at that level of intensity again and like hopefully don't have to because now I've, you know, found more of an audience myself. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. Anything else about this Kanye West song? Like, where are you at with Kanye West right now in 2022 in terms of like, how do you feel about him? Like the person versus the persona.
1: I think that he is just extremely mentally ill and, I have a hard time when he – I think I used to, obviously, like everyone else, get really caught up in his Twitter rants <laughs> where I'd be like, this is fun. And now I'm just like, man, you guys, I think we're all – I think as a society, it's very hard to not enable something that, like, feels entertaining. Um, and we do it all the time.
2: Yeah.
1: I do think I'm just like, for the love of God, I. part of me is, like, I don't know if he's actually this mentally ill or if he's leaning into it because the attention it brings which is like a different mental illness. But I mean, obviously I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose him. I don't know what's going on. I think that right now he is like deeply enabled by the public to act in really inappropriate ways. And, you know, I he has like a family now. I'm just like, take care, take care of the kids. Look out for them. I don't like the narrative that the Kardashians are toxic evil people who ruined him. But I also am like, listen, I do think that he shouldn't necessarily be airing every thought to the public as soon as he has it
0: yeah i just hope i mean for a number of years now i've been kind of like i hope he can ever get the help that he might need to totally deal with whatever he is working on um because it just kind of like the last four or five years have been a real roller coaster and I just kind of worry about where he is at right now.
1: Totally. Like, I definitely don't hate him, but I'm very like, all right, this is not the behavior of a person who is like thinking everything through, which like not that he has to, not that he owes that to everybody or anybody, but I also like do feel like whenever he acts in like rash wave. It's really enabled by people. Everyone's like, oh, this is crazy. Connie is doing something wild again. And it's like, all right, let's like, just take a knee. I <laughs> <laughs> feel like hell
7: tonight. The tears of rage. I cannot buy. I'll be the last to help you understand. Are you strong enough?
0: Going back in time again with the next one with Sheryl Crow, iconic song from oh, the T- song Tuesday Night this Music song. Club. Uh, nothing but hits off of that one, too. She came out strong with the debut album. <laughs> but so Sheryl Crow strong enough. Where like was this another one that was very popular in your household growing up or how how are we getting back into this one?
1: So Cheryl Crow, I first got into because of "Come On, Come On." I remember when I first got a Discman.
0: Oh, shut up! I like to went shout out to the Discman,
1: <sighs> an iconic piece of technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember when I first got a Discman, like kind of combing through my parents' CD collection and like picking a couple to. Is borrow for a few weeks and I grabbed come on come on and I would just walk around listening to it and being like man I fucking love Cheryl Crow and I would see her live every now and then at Ravinia I think we went to go see her which is a music venue in Highland Park Illinois and I don't know I just really liked her a lot and then a couple of years ago I started learning about her and really diving into the Cheryl Crow history and she is fascinating and brilliant and so talented and i'm obsessed with her we actually just did another podcast recently that i don't think is out yet but um me and claire watched a cheryl crow documentary yeah that I, I
0: remember there was is was it on showtime I yeah think, yeah yeah
1: i hated it <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think i read something about it that said it wasn't that great or like didn't get into stuff that much or like it was not it well just made. glossed
1: over everything and she has such a long and kind of complicated history she's been through a lot she's fucking persevered through a lot and I think that to just kind of gloss through everything in such a short amount of time I was like well then don't mention it at all like yeah. if you're not going to do service to these topics just don't mention them and then yeah so I just think there's a lot of Cheryl Crow to talk about anyway this song specifically I love first of all there's a really incredible cover of it that I think it's like Lord and Heim, and a couple other people all covered it at some big music event highly recommend googling that for YouTube it's so fucking good And this song, I just always really loved quietly. And then one time me and my friend Paige went to karaoke and we were the only people in the whole room, like in the whole bar, it just was empty. And so we were like kind of challenging each other on different topics and being like, oh, do a song that's like this. Or like, oh, let's only do country music for the next 40 minutes. And it was just like us kind of serenading each other. And it was really funny. And then I, my next one was Strong Enough by Sheryl Crow. And I was up there and I was maybe a couple lines into the song, which I've always loved this song. But as a, as a karaoke song, it's, it makes you wonder if someone's okay. (laughs) And a huge group of people came in right when I was starting the song and I'm obviously not going to abandon shit, but I am like, what are they thinking coming into like a fun, bright neon karaoke bar where there's just like a girl on stage drunk, belting strong enough by Cheryl Crow. It's just like, should we call a hotline for her? I, what the fuck is that happening? That does
0: have big uh, cry for help energy.
1: <laughs> I was like, listen, if you guys were here for the bit, we're doing this as like, um, this is between us.
0: <laughs> um, so do you, I mean, Cheryl Crow has changed her, I mean, she's changed her sound so often and kind of like she had like big bright pop song like the um, the soak it was it soak up the sun like 20 years yeah. ago and what is she like what is her output like now in 2022 in terms of like her songwriting or like what she is doing
1: I don't think she's doing that I think she's really kind of focusing on she adopted those two kids and I think that she's just kind of hanging out okay making what she feels like making, but not stressing herself out. That's what it feels like. It feels like she's kind of just vibing. Her kids are young. I think she's spending time with them. She's in Nashville. I think she's recording and working when she wants to work, but not necessarily putting things out because of any outside pressure. And, uh, I really like that.
0: Okay. I mean, that is like, I, she had so many successful songs off of like her first two albums alone. She can kind of, I think, is an artist that can get away with doing that and just being like, "I will make music when I want to, not yeah." As like a contractual I obligation.
1: She, I think she has some sort of like compound in Nashville that she lives in that has a recording. <laughs> I love when and,
0: artists like, <laughs> reach a, like. I love when people reach a point where they have a compound yes that's just like a next some like next level shit that I think everyone should aspire to
1: oh totally that's my dream is to have a compound (laughs) and she like is just out there doing her thing I think that if she wants to put out another album I'm sure she will eventually but I don't think she like feels any type of pressure from any direction I think she's just very much doing her own thing yeah
0: um what The podcast that you did about the documentary, was that for, like, the Patreon for the... No, more? someone
1: else asked us to cover it for... It's called Jessie's Girls. Okay. And so that'll come out, I think, soon. It's just me being a bitch about the documentary, about how there's, like, too much to know about Cheryl Crow. And she said that she'll never write a memoir. And I'm like, bitch, why?
0: <laughs> you should reach out to her, be like, as a fan, but also professionally, because we'll read it and talk about it. Can you please...
1: As a fan and a memoir expert, (laughs) you're qualified.
0: So Taylor Swift, we're moving into "Dear John" from Speak Now, and I—I I mean, I love Taylor Swift. I was very late to the party on Taylor Swift, but um, I've been a fan for a number of years now, and I've enjoyed going back to her earlier material. So this is like an older song. How do you feel about Taylor Swift and like what, with? This I love exactly? Taylor Swift. I—I
1: okay. I mean, I—I think I've always loved her. I think that I've definitely, I've probably wavered on her at certain times. I don't know if I've ever like fully left. Team Taylor, but I've definitely, (laughs) like, kind of – I mean, I I love Reputation. I've always really loved her. I don't know that I was, like, a hardcore stan until a little bit later. And there's definitely – I mean, I'm not, like, a blind Taylor obsessive. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think that there are obviously things that she can do wrong. Yeah. There are moments that I don't support for sure. I think lately I've been a little bit peeved with her because – I mean, we've talked about this a little bit on our Patreon and people um, got kind of mad at us, but I think that the fact that she made such a huge stink about being politically active and really providing a voice for the people who aren't as loud as her. I mean, why did she do that documentary, Miss Americana, if she wasn't actually going to become politically active? I think that people were saying, like, just say what you want, like, or what you say, what team you're on, just say it. And she could have just said it, but mm-hmm. instead she made a whole documentary about how now she's going to really be a voice for the people. And then she wasn't. She, like, doesn't really do anything. She only speaks up on an issue if it affects her directly. And she speaks on it, like, from her own. And I'm not saying she, like, obviously shouldn't have a perspective. Of course she should. And, of course, she shouldn't speak where, you know, she shouldn't speak over people yeah. or instead of certain people who deserve a voice. But, like... I don't know the way that she really is quiet on a lot of things. Like I don't really care about the private jet situation, but I do think it is a little bit telling and annoying. I think that, I don't know whenever people are like, listen, it would be dangerous for her to fly commercial. It's like, shut up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she, I mean, for somebody who had such a good run during, like, the last two years with, like, releasing albums and re-releasing her material to retain the masters, her 2022 has kind of been rough in terms of, like, speaking out and then also the private jet thing.
1: Like, she didn't really speak up on Roe v. Wade. She didn't really... I, there's, like, a lot of things that she kind of dabbles in in a way that, like, only really benefits herself. And it's just like, okay, Taylor, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> we're not done, but I'm peeved. Yeah. <laughs> and then anyway, dear John is just like a fave song of mine. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of Taylor Swift songs that I could probably talk about for a million years, but dear John is one that I return to a lot just because I think it's so perfectly written. Um, And I hate John Mayer, <laughs> even though supposedly the song isn't even about him, which like seems a little bit goofy to me, but.
0: Oh, I thought whatever. it was. I for sure thought it was.
1: I mean, I think that that was just like a weird PR move from somebody else. I don't, I mean, probably John Mayer's team being like, how could it be about him? It's just called Dear John, written in the style of a John Mayer song. Why would it have anything to do with John Mayer? Don't <laughs> so
8: don't look now. I'm shining like fireworks. Oh.
1: Anyway, I am like obsessed with the style that it's written in. I think it's so funny to have written a John Mayer song telling John Mayer to go fuck himself. Because um, he like absolutely should. <laughs> Everyone who's like, oh, but he's a good guy now. And it's like, do you know him? Yeah, is I was he was like, your dad. Is he?
0: Like, I don't. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. That's
1: always a thing that we get. Because I'll definitely like, call people out and be like, oh, this guy's a fucking asshole. And everyone's like, that is a moment from 15 years ago. And it's like, okay, but show me when he apologized for it. Yeah. I don't know I don't I'm, I'm not stuck on it I'm not waking up every day like punching a photo of John Mayer <laughs> but I
0: do. you could if you I that, should that's how you want to begin the day like a punching bag with his stupid mug taped on it but I
1: am just like I don't know I don't feel like him just like all of a sudden acting silly and wearing ugly pants I don't think that means he's different now
0: is that what he's doing I don't really know what he's been up to lately he
1: wears like really ugly pants now
0: well good for him i'm glad he's like his whole thing entered entered that era of his life (laughs) um anything else about dear john and taylor before we head back Um, into the 90s
1: i just love taylor swift i love her sweeping ballads that are like 15 minutes long. she's got them
0: she really can write the hell out of a song
1: And she crushes them. I mean, so Dear John and All Too Well, before we even had the 10-minute version, were two songs that – so at one point in my life when I was in a bad place, (laughs) I was training for a marathon. And one thing that was, like, very helpful to me when I was having to run, like, 13 miles on a Saturday morning was to listen to one song for about an hour instead of because if I listened to a playlist, I would count the songs and be like, okay, it's probably been like 10 minutes, probably been like 15 minutes. But if you listen to one song over and over again, you kind of forget how many times you've listened to it. And you kind of forget where you are in the song, but then it just builds and then it crashes and it kind of keeps you motivated, but you don't know, you don't have any concept of time. And so I would listen to Dear John like 15 (laughs) times in a row. (laughs) While running? while running. This is
0: not exactly a running song, so that's really interesting.
1: But it low-key is. Taylor Swift <laughs> has a lot of up-tempo ballads that when you really break it down, the pace is faster than you think it's going to be, but the song is very calm, so it keeps you calm, but you don't slow down.
0: Um, I love that. I should try that sometime if I ever need to like really run or push myself just to listen it to really a, is Taylor, like- a Taylor ballad.
1: It's like a low key, it was like my hack. (laughs)
0: in the sweater song and I this is such a classic slice of the 90s for me because I remember when this album came out and this song was so big and I had this cassette tape um (laughs) but where are we, where are we heading with this one uh into like back into your childhood or where are you falling in with Weezer and do you still ride for Weezer they're very polarizing in terms of yeah. their, like the diminishing returns of their albums
1: I would say Weezer is another problematic fave for me I don't think Rivers <laughs> Cuomo is a good person
0: uh, Yeah he uh, yeah yeah
1: That being said, I think the sweater song, this I just put randomly on the list. It doesn't really have any sort of um, chronological situation, but it like might be one of my favorite songs of all time. I don't know what it is, but something about listening to it. I just, I love it so much. And I, like I said, don't ride for Weezer. There are a handful of Weezer songs that might actually be on a desert island playlist for me. Like I fucking love a lot of stuff off the Blue album but I you know disagree with a bunch of <laughs> shit that he's ever done and said
0: yeah
1: um, and I think he's crazy but in a fun in a way that makes good music I don't know when people expect someone who like has pursued music you know I mean there's like a bunch of things I'm like of course everyone's insane of course everyone's out of their damn mind but I don't know. I love this sweater song a lot.
0: it is it's an interesting song because it's it's kind of long and then it has that weird beginning with all the like the conversation, like the conversations happening and the way it just kind of like slowly builds into like the explosive ending.
1: Yeah, I love I love a build like that. I don't know if you can tell, but I love like stadium rock. I love huge sound. I love I don't know. I think this is a perfect song.
8: the street is that
0: So we've made it to the end of your list, and I feel like I might know why this one is on here, but... I just... Oh, <laughs> Ashley Simpson. And this one, this prompted me to ask the question. I feel like Ashley Simpson and her pop output is extremely underrated. Do you think yes. that we need to give Ashley Simpson her flowers?
1: Absolutely. fucking I think it's crazy the way Ashley Simpson has been written off as Jessica Simpson's sister who lip syncs. Like, what yeah. do you think Jessica Simpson does? Yeah. Of, I mean, this is goofy. I think listen, that lip syncing incident, not flattering, not a great look, but the way that it crumbled her career was so uncalled for. Because if you go back and listen to those first two albums, it is just banger after banger after banger and kind of rediscovering Ashley Simpson is how we ended up pulling this song for our intro track on Celebrity Memoir Book Club. But Claire and I had really gone down an Ashley Simpson rabbit hole, like in the last couple of years. And it's just, she's very good.
0: <laughs> I remember when she was first coming up and she had the show on MTV and was romantically involved with Ryan Cabrera. Yeah, And his hair. And she had pieces of me which is like one of my all-time favorite pop songs and it's just
1: so good i think that in terms of being like when we talk about the pop and the pop punk music of that era i think she just gets so left out every time and it's absolutely uncalled for she's so great
0: I was, and this prompted me to kind of look at what she's doing now, and she does not do anything now. She has children. No,
1: she became a Ross, and that's actually pretty impressive.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> but she, I mean, she doesn't really do music. She kind of seems like she might at some point, but hasn't put out an album in a really long time. And... At one
1: point, her and Evan were putting out music, which was kind of hugely embarrassing. But I was like, listen, if Evan Ross had the capacity to be a singer as the son of Diana fucking Ross, he would have done it before he married Ashley Simpson.
0: <laughs> um, so the, her first two albums are good, though, because I've only listened to this one, Autobiography. I have not gone back to her second album. Then she only has the third one after that, before she kind of retired from the public eye.
1: The second album I thought was really good, and it didn't get any, like, traction because of the lip syncing incident. So she was promoting it, and that happened, and then the album just bombed, and it was really fucked up.
0: (laughs) I feel like she kind of, like, because the SNL thing happened within the first year of her kind of career, and so I just feel like that was tough to recover from, but maybe, I hope. I hope she's doing well, but I also hope people could recognize and like forgive somehow. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And
1: I mean, people were always mean to her. Yeah. I think, I think the whole time, her entire career, she was just, I mean, living in the shadows, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah,
1: tough. <laughs> no one says it better than herself.
0: We made it. We made it to the end of your list. Um wow, yeah, is what there anything day. else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to get to or like anything else you want to mention about like the the podcast or like other things like that you other endeavors? One thing I did want to ask about was in going back through the old episodes of We're in a fight, you were working on a music podcast for a little while. Gushers. Yeah. And like what ha- I, what happened with that?
1: I wanted to do a podcast where people just like gush about random songs that they love.
0: 'Cause that was um, why I contacted you initially, was like I heard the episode where you were talking about that and I was like, Oh, she likes pop music and would probably have a lot of interesting things to say and would be a good guest for this show. And so then like was it just difficult to get that going during the time you tried to do it or like having two yeah. having two podcasts is two podcasts too many?
1: It was just like a lot of work to do on your own, I feel like to I don't know. I I didn't realize how much being able to do a podcast like with me and Claire made shit easier. And I think that I don't know. I always get like anxious, like scheduling. I'm not I'm just not good at doing it all by myself, I think. And I would just get too anxious about it. I don't think I promoted it well. And I also like didn't I don't know if I like knew exactly what I wanted to even be doing with it. And so I think to have some sort of music offshoot eventually. Cause also we don't really like covering that many music memoirs on the podcast. So maybe doing some kind of like, I don't know, me and Claire have talked about doing little, uh, what do you call it? Like mini series offshoots. Like maybe she would talk about art or like more reality TV. Cause I don't watch that much reality <laughs> TV and I would talk about music. Sure. And we would do our own little like mini series. I think that could be something interesting in the future. But yeah, doing a whole second podcast by myself. Um, it was just like a bunch of work that I didn't feel like doing.
0: <laughs> like, and with the workload with Celebrity Memoir Book Club, like, or even when you were doing We're in a Fight, like, who does, like, do you, is it both of you working on like editing and putting it together? Like, who, how do you balance that?
1: Yeah. So we both just kind of divide and conquer. Claire does all of the audio editing. I do the video editing and a lot of our other little, um, like, promotional things. I handle a lot of the logistics, like, expenses and all that shit. Um, And we just kind of divide on all the other things. Okay. And it just ends up taking up a ton of time. Like, well, it's just like a lot of scheduling and meetings and planning and whatever.
0: (laughs) It is very tough. Like, I'm doing, I do all this by myself. Like, I just reach out. It is very, it's very, like, I, every time I finish, like, a run of episodes where I do, like, six or seven episodes and I, like, get them all ready and I release them as, like, a season of the show, I'm, like, is this how sustainable is this in terms of just keeping going and being the one who wrangles the guests and then does the interview and then cuts it together and then puts it online and it is just so it's it's fun but it's also so daunting and time consuming and totally
1: and everything just is a thing like nothing everything you're like this is an easy task but like I still have to like sit down and pull up my hard drive and get everything cranking. And, you know, I'm just like stuck to the couch. So how could I possibly? Yeah.
0: Um, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your morning to speak with me and to have such a diverse l- list of tunes and like fun stuff to share about all them and also like giving insight and like that kind of how you and Claire do the work that you do because it's like the show is so great and it's been so much fun for me to listen to it so like i'm I'm just very appreciative that you were willing to take time um to yeah to thanks speak.
1: so much for. Having me. I'm so glad you reached out. I love talking music.
0: I could kind of tell. And I was like, I hope this like I'm like, I'm hoping that she'll be like, yes, let's do this. Because some people I've reached out, like even other like other writers, other people that I like interact with online, not even people I know in person. I have learned some people just don't like music. Or some people like music, but they aren't willing to talk about it in this kind of a way or think about it in this kind of a way. And so it's been like interesting for me to learn that about people, but then also find folks who can do like 90 minutes about a a couple songs that they really like.
1: Yeah, that's so... I mean, I guess that is true. There are some people who are just like, I don't know, music is music. And I just... Sometimes <laughs> I listen to it and sometimes I don't. And I'm just like,
0: interesting. Yeah, that's... <laughs> well, the first, time, the first time I got those reactions from people when I'd asked them if they wanted to do this, they were like, wait, I have to talk about songs? I not how I think about music. Or I was like, I don't listen to albums. And I was like, pardon me? And that was just like <laughs> mind-blowing for me to learn that some people just won't put on an album and listen start to finish. And I was like, are you okay? Is that like... Can I help you like, in some what way? what
1: do you do? Exactly,
0: exactly. They're like, oh, we just listened to the radio or oh, I just put on, like, a streaming service and it's on random. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, but also... And then what do you
1: like when, like, when is there anything that comes up on random and then you're like, oh, thank God this came up?
0: Yeah, I was just like, how, how have you made it through your life doing that? But good for you, but this is just, like, no life I have ever known. I have just always yeah. been, like, buying albums and, ha- like, really immersing myself. So it's just, like... It's cool to learn, but it's also like, whoa, it's wild that people are out here living a different life.
1: One thing that's been really, I feel like, fun about having such a high-energy dog that needs three-hour-long walks a day <laughs> is I feel like I've really gotten back into albums. Like, I'll I'll be like, oh, what am I going to listen to today? And then I'll just put on a full album, stop, start to finish, and just walk. We just walk.
0: Um, That's... I, our dog, is, we had to really get him to want to walk. And I don't know if it's like a bulldog thing or what it was. He was not used to walking. And so when we first adopted him, he was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Why are we trying to do this? And we eventually eventually figured out that it takes two people. So it's my wife and I we will have to be like, it's time. We're all going to go as a family. And (laughs) then he's like, yes, this is so great. But before, when it was just like one of us, he was like, I don't understand. Why are we trying to cross the street? Where are you trying to take me? I don't want to do this. And so we don't really do like big long walks. We do like a lap around the neighborhood and then we come back. Um but yeah like f- for like I can see that being good to just throw on your headphones and have a bunch of tunes playing and like just cruising with the dog.
1: Yeah, especially now that she's gotten. I mean yeah, when I first got her, the walking was not
2: easy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot now... of a lot of
0: pulling, a lot of like flailing, a lot of needing to investigate everything.
1: Yeah. Several months and two trainers later, it's very different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you do training treats? Do you have like a little pouchy of treats that you keep on you for like when things are going well?
1: Yeah, Yeah. 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 When she's like doing a really good job of staying in heel and, you know, kind of not getting there's, she also like will pick a certain area to get really nervous about. I think especially sometimes if there's been every now and then there's like a fence, Or, like, a house that has a dog running around in a front – I mean, I hesitate to say yard because it's New York, so what the fuck is a yard here? But if there is an area that has a dog running around and it will, like, maybe bark at her a lot the next day when we're walking by, she won't really want to walk by that spot because she, like, got her feelings hurt there yesterday – I don't know what the dog said. I don't know why she's so <laughs> upset about it. But like she just won't, she like won't walk down that street again. And sometimes with oh. treats I can lure her, but sometimes it's just a pretty lost cause.
0: Oh. Bug. Thoughts and prayers.
1: <laughs> it is so funny. Like she'll just I don't know, we'll like walk down a street and she'll just freeze. She'll just root into the ground and be like, We are not going that way. Oh, no. Nice try. Oh, but buddy. but the dog over there is so mean and I won't deal with it. Oh.
0: All right, once again, I would like to thank today's guest on the show, Ashley Hamilton. If you are interested in listening to the podcast that she is currently hosting with um, Claire Parker, it's called Celebrity Memoir Book Club. You can subscribe to it wherever fine podcasts are sold. They also have a Patreon where you can get bonus episodes. uh, For more information about the show, they're on Instagram, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. And they are also on Twitter, C-M-B-C underscore podcast. And Ashley Hamilton is also on both forms of social media. She is at Ashley Ham. It's Ham with three M's. On both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again for listening to the first episode of season eight. I have been your boy, Kevin Krein, aka Kevvy Fly. This has been the Anhedonic Headphones Podcast. It is, of course, the audio extension of the music analysis and criticism website, anhedonicheadphones.blogspot.com. Still in its ninth year. I hesitate to say it's still going strong. It's still going, though. Uh, If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe to this program in all the usual places where you see all the usual faces, like uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app. Uh, I am in all of those places. So... Feel free to listen, share with your friends, share with your nemesis if you have one. I have a couple. I might ask them to listen to the podcast. Who knows? You can also holler at me on social media and say hello. Let me know what you think of the show or any of the writing. I am at Kev E. Fly on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. I will see you back here next time. Hope you're all doing as well as you can be out there. Stay safe, remember to keep wearing a mask, remember to wash your hands, remember that black lives still matter, and remember, adopt, don't shop.